This podcast is brought to you by Fandango. Fandango offers movie tickets and gift cards to over 45,000 different screens across the United States and reaches into nearly 80% of the nation's total theaters. By partnering with virtually every leading film exhibitor like Regal, Cinemark, AMC, and more. So to pick up some movie tickets or a gift card for the movie fan in your life, head on over to cityweekly.com slash Fandango or click the support us link in the show notes for this episode. This is Sylvester McCoy. Uh, you're listening to Who Made Who, and uh, Me Made Me. And uh, my mother and father did the same. You're listening to a podcast from the Cinema Geekly Podcast Network. We're the geeks you deserve and the ones you need right now. Brand new episode of Who Made Who, Cinema Geekly's Doctor Who podcast. It's Anthony Lewis and Ben Knight. We're back to talk more Doctor Who, Series 12, it's Episode 8, The Haunting of Vila Diodati. And, uh, yeah, I was uh, wondering if we were going to get a nice little tie-in to the finale, and we really did. (laughs) In fact, this whole episode, kind of, a little bit, is kind of like a mini first part of the two-parter. Yeah, I think so. Almost kind of makes these last three episodes a three-parter in a way. Uh, Very tied together. Yeah. Uh, Which isn't exactly what I was expecting going into this. So I was was actually quite happy with this episode. But uh, Ben tells me off the air before we were recording that there is some blowback to this episode, which I can't fathom beyond some general criticisms, but... Yeah, let's find out, shall we? Let's jump into the episode. Uh, So the doctor takes her companions to 1816 Lake Geneva to witness Mary Shelley gain the inspiration to write Frankenstein. However, they found the villa seemingly haunted and Mary's future husband, Percy, has gone missing. A spectral figure appears and reveals itself to be a Cyberman, perhaps the lone Cyberman we've been hearing about this whole time. Uh, he's named. I didn't see any. I didn't see any friends with him. That's true. He did seem mm-hmm. to be lone. Um, he did. This Cyberman is different from most of the other Cybermen that we've seen, though. He's missing a good portion. They all say that. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> he's missing a good portion of his his helmet, his faceplate, and he had. Not only does he speak, but he seems to speak independently and emotionally, which is very different from most Cybermen you run into. His name is Ashad, and he is seeking the missing uh, Siberium, the collected knowledge of the Cybermen. The Doctor discovers Percy, finding he had the Siberium earlier and had uh, gone crazy from absorbing it into his body, with the Siberium creating the haunts to prevent discovery. 
despite knowing Jack's previous warning of the lone Cybermen, the Doctor extracts the Siberium from Percy and, under threat, gives it to the lone Cyberman, who returns to the future with it. The Doctor and her companions pursue while Mary was inspired by Ashad, uh, a modern Prometheus, to write a story. Of course, presuming Frankenstein. Uh, so... Now that we know the real story of Frankenstein, Ben, that it was based off of a Cyberman encounter. I knew it. I always had my suspicions, but never dared to voice them publicly until... until no, and why would you? So controversial. Putting that out there is just asking for trouble. Yeah. Yes, it is. Uh, what did you yeah. think of episode eight? Um, I really... It's an episode in two parts. Mm -hmm. So... I felt the first part of it, I found it frustrating because, let's mention the elephant in the room right away. Mm -hmm. um, so, there is a doctor missing from this story. A little bit, because, yeah. Yeah, because Mary Shelley travelled with um, number eight for a little while. Mm -hmm. um, in For those who don't know what on earth I'm talking about, I'm talking about the Big Finish um, audiobooks. And, Which are supposed and actually, to be canon, correct? They are indeed supposed to be canon. So, uh, and um, so, a friend of mine who is the biggest uh, fanboy of the Big Finish stuff I've ever met, um, who is also an actor and is you know very much into um, you know into, into understanding how canon works in these things. Mm -hmm. uh, he probably listens to the show as well, Brandon. Um, I mentioned him last week, didn't I? Yes. Uh, he he was saying you know they could fix this with with one line mm -hmm. um, or, or thereabouts. So, and it felt weird that they didn't. And those people go, oh, well, you know, eight is, you know, the Doctor, he's like the Y in the vowel sequence. We don't really talk about him. Um, yes. Well, we do ever since the episode with Claire Higgins and co. Um, he's now been part of the television canon. He, you know, Paul McGann is a legit number eight. So mm -hmm. I, I just, it felt a bit weird. And I spent the first half yeah. of the episode sort of thinking, well, are we are we going to mention this yes. or or not? And it turns out the answer ultimately was no. No. Um, so uh, I don't know whether I just felt distracted in the first half or whether um, the first half was just a bit slow and a bit almost a bit amdram in places. I, I didn't think all the performances were all they could be and so on. Um, but there was a lot of fun to be had. There were some nice effects. There was the slightly interesting take on cousin it. Uh, um, yes, the hand. They're not cousin it, rather thing, rather thing. Yeah, um, uh, with the with the hand and so on. Oh, that was a good wheeze. Mm -hmm. um, but then we get the appearance of Patrick O'Kane as the lone Cyberman. Yes. Uh, and can I say I saw Patrick O'Kane uh, as Michael in Whistle in the Dark in Royal Exchange in Manchester, and because he was part of the theatre company at Royal Exchange for quite a long time, I think like twenty years almost, or at least fifteen years. Um, and he is just a cracking actor um and he's so fucking sinister he was great um, in this episode which i think yeah and he really came across because we've seen quite a lot of sidemen um over the years and you know you can you can play them as a number of different things but he played them with the same intensity and kind of like they had the he had the sort of power and sort of presence of of a bork mm -hmm. but um with the kind of seething rage that I don't really remember I mean you sense collectively that the Cybermen are angry, don't you? But yeah. you don't really sort of 
you don't see it expressed. No. It's expressed coldly by the Cybermen. Yeah. So it's what happens when the intensity of that rage is 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 put across without the filter of of the the upgrade. Mm-hmm. And that worked for me. Yep. And I didn't expect it to. I kept looking for a moment where I thought his performance was too hammy, where you know one bit or other was overdue, and nothing did. Yeah, it worked really well. Um, I believed that he was an angry, fucked up, sinister Cyberman. Yep. Um, and I loved it. I, I quite liked the, the twist in the, the narrative in terms of, um, the, you know, the absorption of the, the knowledge and so on. I, you know, all, all of that worked for me. I mean, it, there wasn't a golden arrow in the story, no. but there was a kind of, you know, slightly clumsy way of resolving stuff and, and so on. But that's because this is part of a bigger story. And, it's supposed to feel a bit resolved, but not entirely. So I, I can live with that. Yeah. Um, it, it was a solid episode. The the thing that's becoming abundantly clear is that those people who at the start of this thought that um, the, the the bigger cast, uh, in terms of the number of companions, was to you know somehow make up for a weak presence in Whitaker, and I have to say I could forgive people for th- thinking that to start with. Yeah. Um, I think that now we're seeing that, that that simply isn't true. Oh no, um, she's great. I, yeah, she. And again, in this episode, strength. You know, from strength to strength. In fact, probably. In fact, yeah, definitely the strongest performance from her as the Doctor mm. um, so far. Yes. Um, in the scenes with uh, with the Cyberman, uh, with Ashad, um, yes. she was full on. 100 percent doctor and, I, mm-hmm. and one of the nice things about when you see a new doctor uh, a few episodes in is you start to spot what all of them do which is they pull sort of little expressions little mannerisms just little gentle nudges to often i think their favorite doctors over the years yes um and there were a few in this episode i saw from jodie whittaker i saw a little touch of tom baker in there i saw in fact I mean, both Alex and I simultaneously said Colin Baker at one point. <laughs> um, there was a, it's that slightly, it, it's because uh, Jodie Whittaker had to match the intensity of um, uh, Paddy O'Kane. Yep. And so did this kind of, um, this sort of slightly overblown theatrical line. I can't, I can't immediately bring the line to mind because it's a little while since I watched it. Um, but it was delivered with that sort of, you know, if you're going to deliver a line that's camp because of its intensity, you double down on the intensity to make it believable. Yes. And there was a brilliant line in her conversation with, with Ashad that was, or Ashad rather, that was absolutely that. And, and it was weird because I grew up with Colin Baker. Um, Alex didn't. And we literally both simultaneously went, <laughs> Colin Baker. Um, <laughs> it was that. You know that heavy it stands so, up that much, yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I really love this, and I. This is this is then comes to the rub, and it's the only sort of final thing I'll say about this episode is that this is the third time now mm-hmm. in this season where I've seen Chibnall set up in in fantastic style mm-hmm. what's coming next, and. I, I now find myself... Do you remember when Moffat, we used to say that at least you th- sort of felt that you could trust that there was something coming at the end of it? And there usually was, yes. even if 
you know, and we were like, oh well, we just have to trust Moffat. Yeah. Um, Chibnall hasn't hasn't earned that trust yet. No. And this, we're currently, you know, naught for two yes. in terms of setups to payoffs. Yes. Um, if this serves as part effectively one of three, which I, I agree with you, I think it absolutely is. Um, it started pretty pretty high up the chain and it's it's got to have left itself some space to go with the next two episodes mm-hmm. my worry is i found my enjoyment of this episode lacking because all the way through it i was thinking is he going to run with this is he going to run with this yeah and if he now doesn't much like those last two episodes i think it's going to be guttingly disappointing mm-hmm. yeah. um, but in terms of a strong start this episode, once you got past the initial stumbling blocks, was absolutely glorious. Yep. Yep. Uh, I really enjoyed the episode as well. Uh, one thing you you didn't mention and wasn't mentioned in the recap either, I actually kind of enjoyed the performance of Jake, uh, Jacob Collins Levy, who did uh, Lord Byron in this episode. Mm. I was... He was fab, wasn't he? I was very entertained. by So, Lord Byron in this episode had two looks essentially uh he was look number one was either undressing the doctor with his eyes or look number two was i'm gonna jump down your pants like lord byron was in love with the doctor in this episode Mm -hmm. and she rebuffs him several times uh throughout the course of this i think he was kind of there sort of as like a little bit of comedic break uh a little bit but uh I really enjoyed him as kind of like this little side thing uh, that was going on in the episode. And he actually featured kind of prominently all the way up until everyone's like, whoa, a Cyberman. And mm-hmm. uh, that's also when Jody's performance, I thought, really kicked into gear as well, as you noted. Yeah. Um, starting with her warning off the companions, because they had never even seen one before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's like okay, we've been having a lot of fun, but the fun is over now, and this is very dangerous. Uh, and every those scenes that she had with uh, Asha, the, the lone Cyberman, were, as you noted, uh, very good. Uh, and I, I believed her gear changed, didn't you? Yes. In terms of the way she dealt with the companions. Yes, yes. She definitely stopped looking at them like we're on the same level even it was kind of like yeah. that i'm the doctor and you yeah, are puny well humans. Put, yeah yeah uh definitely like you need to be protected you are mice and this is a very large cat uh yeah so i i like that uh, and i think the story here is the uh the the siberium for whatever reason found its way to you know 1816 earth and ended up in uh, Percy Shelley's body because he saw it in the water, and he's like, "Oh, I, I can't resist this." And was t- it, and apparently it contains the entire. Uh, it's like the it's like the Cyberman Internet essentially. It's the compendium of all of their knowledge and battle strategies and everything else. And apparently the idea here is that the the lone Cyberman, Ashad, is trying to gather it so that he can rebuild the Cyberman army, which uh, is now gone, or at least is gone at some point in the future, and he plans to rebuild it. And um, Yes, it, it, it is, was, will be gone. Yes, yeah. that's kind of how it is in Doctor Who. Wibbly-wobbly, tiny Yes, is, was, will is very oh. much 
Uh, it should just be on yeah. all of the posters. Uh, so the whole, all of this, you know, uh, uh, Captain Jack's warning, all of this stuff, uh, things that the doctor willfully ignores here because she can't let Percy be killed uh, mm. in order for the Cyberman to obtain this information. So she takes it herself, uh, but then ultimately ends up giving it back um, to our lone Cyberman. And her plan essentially from here is to fix everything she screwed up. Um, you know, this is one of those, I thought this was actually a really good Doctor Who moment where there weren't any good solutions. And she just mm. picked what she thought was the best of bad choices. And now that she's done that, her plan is to try to fix the bad choice she made in any way that I think one of those lines was a bit Colin Bakery as well, because Mm -hmm. it it takes you back to that whole point when like his era, Sylvester McCoy's era, where the idea of being the doctor, it was exposed, if you will, that the doctor did not have all of the answers. Yes. Not perfect. Um, Yeah. Not perfect. Not a superhero makes bad decisions, makes decisions that kill people if you look at Colin Baker's era mm-hmm. actually and Sylvester McCoy's era yeah um and I, th- I thought it was we don't see that a lot I mean we have seen big sparks of it like big flares of it with each of the doctors since the reboot yes but, um this was Jodie Whittaker's first dark moment yes um and I worried that I mean we all knew that was coming and I, I worried how well she would play it because if she played it like she were doing all other lines oh no look at that it's happened oh he's dead isn't that a shame yeah. if she'd done it like that yes I, I think we're pretty much over and we're going to have another 15 year hiatus um, but I don't think we're in any danger actually no I don't think so either I think she I think she knew exactly how to play uh, to play this and I mean I've seen that as like a criticism a lot of people think that she's not um, as I'm trying to think of the word because I honestly don't even really agree with the criticism, but I think she's too like meek of a doctor. She's not quite as Mm. forceful or, um, but then look at Patrick Charlton's doctor. Yeah. Because, you know, I mean, he, he wasn't, I mean, he was really inconsistent as a doctor, Mm -hmm. but he had quite a lot of moments where he seemed kind of passive to what was happening around him. Yes. Um, look at look at Pertwee as the Doctor as well. I mean, he, I mean, okay, he'd been you know he'd been cast aside by the Time Lords, and he was serving his penance for, you know, well, it turns out maybe for defying their orders uh, in terms of their Secret Service, but we'll find out. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, his character was a lot of the time was was passive to what was going on around him, and Unit were taking control. So yeah. this idea that the Doctor in Whitaker's format was you know, it was tertiary to the story in places was true, but it wasn't new. Yeah. Um, I think the thing that people found annoying and maybe legitimately so, particularly the British fans because of the, um, I, I don't know, maybe we hear the accent stronger. I don't know. Is the fact that because she's playing it with, I mean, she's playing it with her own accent. Jodie Whittaker does speak like that. Yes. Um, but because of that accent, it, it sounds kind of goofy um, mm-hmm. to the British here. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I say this as somebody who you know who went to university in that city, so you know it's it's not a new accent to me. Yeah. Um. But you know, hearing someone talk about deadly threats at universe, it like that, 
it sounds a bit daft. Mm-hmm. Well, um, to, let me well, let me say this to the uh, American ear. Uh, I mean, because it is mm-hmm. it is different. It definitely does stand out from a lot of the other accents we've heard. And mm-hmm. to me, it strikes a chord. I mean, I think it this was an intentionally struck chord because otherwise, I don't think they would have had her do the mm-hmm. accent. I don't. I don't think. Mm-hmm. But to me, next, I've heard her do an RP voice as well, so she can do other accents. Yeah. To to me, it it strikes a chord of like whimsy and fun and light yeah. and lightness, lighthearted, not serious, but which is a lot like Sheffield. Yeah. A very whimsical. <laughs> well, place. Since it re- well, since it reinvented itself after the collapse of the steel industry, but you know, that's why Pittsburgh's fun as well, isn't it? Oh yeah. We- oh, we, America <laughs> loves to call Pittsburgh the, the mm. whimsy city. Yes. Hey, Detroit, you know, who needed cars? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, we can, we can make it fun. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's what it feels like to me. And I think, I mean, that's the way I think the character has been played an awful lot yeah. as well. But yeah, in this episode, when she needed to be serious, she didn't sound whimsical and light and funny. Well, oddly enough, a friend of mine, um, she's a magistrate in Sheffield. Um, I won't name Checker because it seems inappropriate. Yes. Um, but a uh, good friend of mine who I've um, been drunk with many times, and she, yeah, she's she's got almost identically the accent that Jodie Whittaker has, mm-hmm. and because uh, you know, born and bred in in Sheffield and or South Yorkshire, as they would say, yeah, um, and because it's, it's you know, it's like Greater Manchester as a region, mm-hmm. and um, you know, there is a sort of <laughs> there's an awful lot of humour inherent in certain things being said in that accent, yeah. However, bread cake. I tell you what. Yeah, well, bread cake, absolutely. Um, but when she turned around to you when she was cross with you and said in the same accent, now listen, sweetheart, <laughs> I tell you what. Piss your y- pants. You're going to listen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's inter- and Jodie Whittaker had her now listen, sweetheart moments a couple of times yeah, during this episode. I thought she was great. And it, and it, it stops you in your tracks. Mm-hmm. Um you know, northern accent. You know, we we know that lots of planets have a north, don't we? Um, but uh, you know, none of the other accents we've heard. I mean, you've got the Salfordian accent from from Eccleston, um, yeah. which obviously very close to home for me, mm-hmm. um, and 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 various other sort of you know Pertwee's clipped uh, home counties accent and everything else. The Doctor likes to play around with British accents, yep. but this one. This one definitely, Whitaker is making it work for her that it has these two modes, and this was the best example of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so you said that you were you did see some knockback to this. Uh, mm. Any idea what the knockback? Like, I mean, look, th- this was not a perfect episode of television, no. but well, I mean, was it was it worse than you know general criticisms about? writing or tone or pace or anything like that that's a fair question i I think yeah the the criticisms largely came to i think i think people were i think people sometimes look for problems in in this current run and you Mm -hmm. can for lots of reasons question their motivation but yeah um and, and there are legitimate criticisms to be made. I, I, I'm agreeing with myself by saying the first half of this episode, the pacing was a bit weird mm-hmm. uh, and whatever else. But, um, you know, so I, uh, one of the sort of attacks on it is that 
um, the other guests in the house at the start of this episode are, um, I think Den of Geek called the mobile scenery, um, <laughs> which was, which is a fair observation sure. actually, um, because we do not learn a great deal about them. No, um, th- there are there are all sorts of problems, you know, sort of artistic criticisms which are to do with. In fact, they're not even artistic, they're mechanical criticisms about this episode, which I think are fair. Yeah. I think the problem is that a lot of the sort of reception-type criticisms um, just weren't borne out. That They are still political. So yeah. this episode received, um, I think, 100% uh, in terms of its approval rating for um, uh, the... Oh, I'm trying to find the reverence. I think it was the Ron uh, Tomatoes, I think it got the 100% on. Mm-hmm. Um, it did well, put it that way. Yeah. But then you look at the type of press that didn't like it. Yeah. And in the UK, it's the Telegraph, the Mail, the Express, the. It's the, let's be honest, the right wing hate rags. Yeah. And when you read the content of the reviews, because I will say this some of the reviewers for the Telegraph and the Mail, even though I find the publications repugnant, mm-hmm. The reviewers, there are some talented, legit reviewers in there. Yes. But their motivation behind their reviews really seems to be sort of skewing um, their approach to, to this show. And this this episode received the sort of clapback that it just all felt like it was contrived, you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah. So um, I heard it being mentioned on a TV show here the following day uh, on, on the Monday morning, and... You know, it was all sort of, oh, well, it's more of the same. Oh, look, we've gone back to Frankenstein. Oh, why can't they do something new? Oh, it's all because it's women, isn't it? Oh, because it was Mary Shelley and blah, blah. Wow. Kind of think, did you even watch the episode? <laughs> yeah. I mean, to be honest, Mary Shelley didn't women play in a, it. And yes, she didn't even play a very large role uh, in this episode. But Well, I, I was going to email them and say, it's all right, none of them are black. That's um, right. Not obviously so. You know, they have the decency to at least be well lit. Yes. Um, I, I mean, honestly, so, yeah, I mean, we're, we're still seeing the sort of noise about this show that, you know, belonged a century ago, mm. but... Um, I don't mean, I, I'm, just, I'm not even sure if, I'm not, I don't know if I'm even a fan of the criticism of why can't they just do something new? anymore i mean i'm i'm of a i'm of a very annoying mindset i'm aware of how annoying this is to a lot of people when i bring it up but i am (laughs) i like things i remember well no no i i am of the very annoying mindset of there's no such thing as a new story there's just old old stories and just different ways to present them Uh, but then if that's true this episode does that because as you said at the start of the episode of, of this this episode of the podcast is that you know this is how um, Frankenstein was written? Yeah, it turns out a, it was a Cyberman. A different interpretation right. of the Frankenstein story. I mean, not, I love that. not even that. Like the the Cyberman's appearance is the thing that inspires Mary Shelley to write Frankenstein. It's not this, cobbled together of yeah. bits of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. The, this story itself had nothing to do with Frankenstein, but it's like an offhanded side thing that. Because she experienced. Do you remember this. how people didn't make that criticism of the Dickens episode? <laughs> right. Uh, I, mean, I mean, it's very. I mean, that's yeah, and that that, that that's a lot of Doctor Who, like a lot of Doctor. Yeah. It's very much like Back to the Future in that way. Like, oh, well, I was going to say Marty I, McFly I invented rock and roll. You know, 
Exactly. That's not what this fucking show is about. No, if, you, if you are watching this show and getting angry about the fact that it's, you know, rewriting um, bits of history with a modern take on, yeah. you know, how we might interpret them, can I suggest you fundamentally don't understand how the show works? Yeah, that part of the show, I think... literally the point of the show. Yeah, I think that stuff that happens in the show is meant to just be a laugh, like a, ha, a Cyberman-inspired Frankenstein. I'd go further and say it's actually how the I mean it yeah. it's how the show started. It's yes. the point of the show. Go yes. back to Hartnell. Yes. The whole point was, oh, this thing you understand from history, let me explain how this actually happened. Yes, yes. Um, Good, yeah. And it's supposed to be a whimsical thing that makes you happy, not like that story about whatever it was, like the Yorkshire tea that didn't really come from England that made everybody mad. Uh, how dare they? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> How can I call it Yorkshire tea when it's not even from Yorkshire? Unbelievable. What a bunch of bastards. And it's not, it's as, not, as and, it, would say. and it's not like England would just take it and then just claim it as their own. That's not your style. No, so. we grow finest tea in the world in Yorkshire. <laughs> Here, come and have a brew. Have it with a bread cake. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I apologize I, to all people in South Yorkshire. And yeah, there are definitely some some faults with this episode it started pretty slow but it, i thought it really picked up by the end i think it's a nice lead-in to the two-part finale and now uh, as you noted uh it's in chibnall's hands and hopefully we don't get a, a double chibnall or whatever and well so let's have a trust rating i think we need to because we used to have moffats and we used to have double moffats and all that and that yes. worked and i've even quite recently actually i've even seen reference to someone double moffatting <laughs> and it was not our show that referenced. I think we may have. I think we may have coined a phrase. Um, yes. Well, I'll have, I can't remember who it was now. I'll look it up. We'll gladly accept Pat your royalty checks. You. Absolutely. But I think for Chibnall, I think we need. I think we need a new thing. Yeah. I think we need like the Chibnall Trust Index. Sure, we can do that. The CTI. It's like a sort of DefCon thing. Yeah. yeah. So Chibnall. Uh, yeah, a CTI. Oh yes. So. Where are you right now? What is what is what does this episode do to you with the Chibnall Trust Index? So, I think maybe it's out of ten, and I think ten is. Don't worry, Chibnall's got this. Yeah. I think one is. Oh shit, yeah, Chibnall yeah. is a wall. He's lost. He has lost sight of the goal. Yeah. Um. Well, I'll tell you what. A couple weeks ago, I would have told you it's the the clock had fallen off of the wall and fell through the floor. You were a low Chibnall. I, I was heard. very, yeah. I was very low. I would say yeah. after the last two weeks, I feel like I'm at about like a five or a six. Okay. Like I'm very cautiously optimistic that he could stick the landing here with these last two episodes. It feels like, it feels like to me, they found a groove. So, We'll, I mean, we'll find mm. out, but it feels to me like we found a groove. Okay. One week is a I... one week is a coincidence, you know. But two weeks, you know, we're that's the beginnings of a uh, pattern. Good point. Yeah. Now that yeah, that's a good point actually. Yeah. Because I think. <sighs> so what you say? We're five or six? Did you say? Yeah, I'm. I'm. I, let's say a five and a half. Like I'm in between five and six. A, f a CTI of five and a half. Yeah. Hmm. I'm. Oh, I want to trust him so bad, <laughs> but then he's done this to me before. But then he'll change. I mean, there was like um, there was like the first episode, and then there was the Jadoon episode, and the follow-ups <sighs> to both of those just didn't measure up. I. You see, that's it. You know, for as as George W. Bush once said, 
fool me once, fool on shame, you, shame, me. shame on me, you shame, fool me twice, me, twice, a fool can't get fooled twi- again. Um, <laughs> cut, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that <laughs> clearly has a bearing on the Chibnall index. Yes. Um, I'm, I'm going to say I don't trust him actually. Ooh. I'm hoping I'm wrong. I'm going to James O'Brien this. Mm. I hope I'm wrong. Okay. But I'm currently a three on the Chibnall Trust Index, Index patent pending. I am, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm putting my heart out there, Ben, by going five. And and I a hear half. that, yeah, and I'll, and I'll be here for you when okay. when he lets us down. But well, thank you. I'll need somebody. Come let us down. I, I look. I'm going to try. You can't to keep going back to Chibnall like this and expect him to change. <laughs> That's right. I look. I am going to try to be optimistic. This is my new. This is my new thing. I've been a very pessimistic person for a very long time, and like the last, I don't know. I'd say like the last six or seven months or so of my life, I have made a concerted effort to try to be a little more optimistic about things uh, that aren't related to American. All right, politics. this isn't fucking therapy. God. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> I thought you were going to be there for me, Ben. I thought you were going to be there for me when you me down. I was, and then I got bored, and then I was drinking gin. Um. <laughs> You're like seven in now at this point. Oh, only only halfway through your weekly allowance. Uh, I was about to say, it's only halfway through my weekly allowance. It's perfectly acceptable. <laughs> um, okay, so any final thoughts on uh, this week's episode, and what would you give it? Uh, I apologize for anyone listening to this week's episode of the podcast. If they're either um you know two days sober mm-hmm. <laughs> obviously you're gonna hit the reset button but hey one step at a time yep um or, or if you're in any sort of crisis uh, or in any sort of abusive relationship because i think we've established that we're unsympathetic logically i mean we would be but we're <laughs> not it turns out no. in terms of this episode yeah. um I, I think i've said everything i could possibly say about it i will give it oh crikey now hmm I'm trusting you, Chibnall. I'm going to give this an actual four and a half. Oh. And I do it through gritted teeth because I think it actually deserves a little bit less. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to give it a four and a half. Okay. Because I'm I'm, I'm just hoping. Well, that's, Come on, Chibnall. Don't let me down. Well, that's why I'm here for you, Ben, because I gave this episode a four and a quarter. Uh, I, I, I see that. That makes sense. Slightly less. Um, for all of the keeping me grounded, I like that. For all of the reasons that you said, of course, uh, that it was a little bit slow going at first, uh, and it had its it had its problems. But uh, when it was good, it was very good. And yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm really vulnerable out here uh, with my CTI mm-hmm. score. But I don't know if I just feel like they've got these last two weeks, and it, they felt like they've been building. So, yeah, and the the performances the performances seem to be, I don't know, more solidified as well. Like I, I just think that they maybe they've got this in the bag, and I don't even know. I mean, with with uh, episodes nine and ten being a two parter, I'm not even entirely certain I can say that my score was, uh, you know, if my score was was if it's a verifiable from the episodes until mm-hmm. episode 10 is done with because nine might not be like a, a rocket ship, but we still got 10. So we got to see my your faith, brother. I know I'm, <laughs> and I'm also slowly, as you can see, walking it back just a little bit because there is, a t- know. <laughs> it's two parts. So <laughs> nine might not be that good, but 10 could be very good. 
So I'm also sort of walking it back. I'm sort of slowly er- lurching back towards a five. Uh, and the, the warm comfort of being halfway in between no trust and full trust. Uh, it's probably a good time to do that ad read, isn't it? <laughs> Listeners, if you enjoy this show, you'll probably also enjoy Valium. Yes. Valium is available from all good street corners. Yes. Uh, you could probably also get it prescribed if you can convince a doctor enough. Yes. Or if you're paying privately. Valium. Uh, not a not a paid sponsorship, unfortunately. No? Oh. Unfortunately, no. It's like, it's like a syndrome with the FDA or somebody. No, I don't know. Sure. I'm sure uh, it's fine. Uh, not a real ad. There. I think we've covered ourselves legally. I think that's covered that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if only you had some sort of lawyer on the show. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so that's the episode for this week. <clears throat> Head on over to sendmegeekly.com where you can check out the archives of the show. Uh, and, of course, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify. And just search for Who Made Who. Hit subscribe, and that way you can hear us come back next time and talk about more Doctor Who Series 12 Episode 9, the penultimate episode of Series 12 called The Ascension of the Cybermen. <laughs>